It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, we're talking about, you know, the future is now and virtual reality is something, you know, we played with it for a bunch of years. I, you know, I even have a headset where I can put my virtual headset on and I can go to some tropical destination and virtually relax, which I tried once or twice and went, yeah, this isn't very relaxing. (laughs) But now virtual reality is becoming more and more of a thing. We're talking about artificial intelligence and how, you know, once again, the workplace is changing. All this technology is coming on board. And how do we actually use it effectively in things like training and development where isn't there a little bit of fear of getting away from the real person again, who's our trainer? And is it going to be any good? This is such, it's such an interesting topic, Tom. I think you might recall, I mentioned either to you or during a podcast back in 1996, I wrote, I wrote a paper for this class. It was called science, technology, and society. I've got it somewhere. Cause it's, it's a hard copy somewhere. I don't know. I doubt I use the, I probably use Microsoft word or whatever it was. I don't think I use a typewriter. So I might have the file somewhere. It was a long time ago, but I mentioned how virtual reality would overcome the world. So this is going back quite a while and how instead of actually going outside, people would just do virtual reality, virtual reality, virtual reality. And I even, I even made the claim that the world. So again, this is back in 1996, that the world population would decrease because people would get so caught up in virtual reality and virtual relationships and all these kinds of things. So it was pretty interesting just to think back so long ago. And the other thing I was thinking, does anyone else feel like we're living in the future? Like in the past six months, does anyone else feel just we're living in the future with AI and virtual reality and all these different things? It's a note I made uh, today to make that comment because it's just I'm researching all these things. There are so many really good implications for virtual reality. So there's a difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. So virtual reality is uh, like when you put on your headsets and you can create any type of environment you want. Augmented reality is taking your reality and just like it is augmenting it like the spaces around you. So we can go either way today. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things that have come out of the virtual reality aspect of it. I started digging and digging and digging. So there's, of course, you've got your your general benefits to to VR, which are reduced training costs for emergency responders. You can create these simulations uh, that that are just harder to create in real life, and you can have multiple. It's it's harder, but you can have uh, multiple people like in the same virtual reality. So you can have, and because I was looking into the leadership of it in terms of like a team lead and, and providing direction and, and giving direction and those kinds of things. 
And for things that we can't even do yet, I was looking for like, they were doing these simulations on if a hydrogen trucker trucking tank had an explosion. I guess there's no, you can't transport hydrogen now, so they can't simulate that in real life, but they're able to start looking at this in terms of if we start to transport hydrogen, what can we do in terms of those simulations? I was thinking because everything, all the studies that I found were more medical related, were more, uh, you know, specific trills, skills training related. And I was thinking, am I going to find anything on leadership? The good news is in this one particular article. So for those of you listening on the podcast, there's an article called a review on virtual reality skill training applications, and that'll be in the show notes. It's interesting because it goes over all these different aspects, but it also uh, goes into the soft skills and the interpersonal skills Mm -hmm. and how augmented reality can be used for that. And we we look at it from a psychological uh, aspect of it. In this article, and I went and found the original study, virtual reality has been used to help uh, soldiers deal with PTSD by recreating the environment that they were in that caused the PTSD and allow them to talk through some of the particular situations. And there's been some great results to that. So we'll get into even more on that. I think for today, uh, I'll share some of the some of the findings and of course, I posted these references so anyone in the chat, so anyone here can feel free to talk about those. But I wonder how we can look at this and because it's it's a lot of specific skills training, but how can we say what part will IO psychology have with virtual reality training? And I was thinking before this, I think it's a potentially great niche area to fall into because I think there are applications for IO psychology in virtual reality. And it got me thinking about that because when you look at the PTSD with the soldiers, that is a very psychologically based thing because you're looking at trauma. And if if that can be used in that application, what other workplace psychological aspects can that be used in as well? Tom? Well, let me, you know, first of all, thank you very much for the plug. And yes, virtual or augmented reality, you need a voice and speech coach. Um, <laughs> But also, I want to take you back a month. You CBOC just did a online conference. If that had been augmented or virtual reality, how would that have been different? And would it have been any better? Ooh, uh, that's it's, it's great training. It was, a lot of information was shared, but can VR or AR make that experience better? So I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna. Ooh, so I'm gonna look at this. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna jump down into this article where it talks about the um, different types of communication. So yeah, there is of course the fear of are we gonna get away? Because when you look at when you look through augmented reality in the multiple user aspect, then for now it's more like avatars and, and those kinds of things. So it's not our actual because it can't. We don't have holograms yet. <laughs> for, for for virtual reality, not that I know of, but it's coming. Well, they I think they can actually do holograms, but they have to keep them very localized. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, mean, they're, they're, I am by far an expert in in virtual reality. So anyone, please pop in. You know, we're all we're all learning together, and we look at the research, and then we have these conversations. So that this is, uh, but how would it have been? I I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about virtual reality. Would it be better? I'm sure a lot of things would make, you know, any of our events better. Who knows? We talk about this in five years. What will we be doing here? And we'll be, will we be having VR headsets and doing these podcasts and, and interacting in a, in a particular way. But uh, I'll, I'll mention quick uh, in the study, it says virtual com- verbal communication is critical for other kinds of competencies in a study exploring enhancing virtual com- verbal communication through VR environments and medical education. The study found that VR training improves users' collaborative and performance and reported that users may experience higher levels of presence, engagement, and arousal when sound is included in the simulations. When you look at everything VR related, it uh, you can have it. So the, the big thing of, of, of VR, it's, it's all enclosed. And it's very close to your face. So much like when you put on headphones, especially noise canceling headphones, you're just totally 
blocked out from the outside world. And that's the same thing with VR. You're blocked out from the outside world. But the better and better that it gets and these headsets gets, they also block out your auditory. They can even uh, incorporate haptic feedback and even olfactory so they can make you smell certain things. So basically, it's just taking over your complete uh, your complete environment. Tom, I know I didn't even come close to answering your question, but here we are. Well, it just makes me think, you know, we've been doing this in film for almost a century. <laughs> we use, you know, the image, the sound. Uh, you know, they used to have Centorama back in the 60s, I think it was. Um, and it's all to suspend your disbelief to actually make you feel like you are part of the action uh, that you you know, associate with the people on screen. And I can use all those skills to manipulate the audience in VR and AR. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to rule the world. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe I've got a dark side. Uh, let's go to Dr. Martha. <laughs> Dr. Martha on the dark side. There's no maybe about it, Tom. I've been watching you. So this is a huge topic of conversation. When you think about training and the evolution of training, we've come from doing things such as just sitting in a maybe a classroom type setting where somebody is teaching you to more of a hands-on or role-playing or um, simulations of different kinds. Think about the training that pilots get or uh, people that end up going into space, there are certain training that they have to do in a simulation kind of environment because it's not feasible for them to go out train in space before they go out to space. But this is this is just part of the progression. As our technologies and our abilities grow, so do our opportunities in different areas of life, and that includes training and development. One thing that is, I think, important to, to mention is that as with anything else, there will be people who embrace it and there will be people who don't embrace it. Oftentimes with technology, somewhere in the dark corners of the human psyche, there's this fear that it will take over. But in reality, I think this is more about having just another option to utilize and to utilize it when it makes most sense. If it makes more sense to have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with another human being, then that's what we do. If it makes sense to do a virtual type of training, then that's what we choose instead. And this is where I think IO psychology comes in as a tremendous resource because at the end of the day, we are psychologists and we did not get into the field because we weren't interested in human psychology. And that is tremendous. So as we explore these different training and development opportunities, it's important to have IO psychologists on board and have them assist and, and guide these processes. The other thing that I think is really important to mention here, because this has come up as a concern as virtual reality is developing and getting more sophisticated is human behavior and what people think is okay to do in a virtual world that they wouldn't have the audacity or the guts to do to someone face to face. And if you look at reports of abuse within virtual settings, including inappropriate sexual behaviors, specifically towards women more than anything else. We have to be aware of those potential pitfalls and make sure that this isn't something that ends up happening at the workplace when it's intended for training and development, but because you're behind the veil of an avatar, somehow that gives you the courage or the permission in your mind to behave in ways that's inappropriate. So there's so much that comes into play here. It would be irresponsible not to have IO involved in this area. Yeah, you know, I, I as a business owner, I might be the captain of the ship, but I'm going to need a good navigator as I chart my course. And IO psychologists, you know, get yourself an IO psychologist as we move forward into this new world. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
This topic topic is so exciting to me, and it's been exciting to me for for quite some time. And you know, when I think about the opportunities that for training that virtual reality really provide, it's it's exciting to me because you can really create, you know, the way that airlines have done for a long time, the opportunity to experiment and have those low impact or low consequence uh, risk taking and and figure out things bef- and have those oh crap moments and then have a quick way to fix it um, without having to go through the real consequences or having the real um, crash and burn kind of experience that that might take place. Um, the other thing that I think exists is really the the avoidance of that one and done kind of training anymore and the opportunity to have people go through training until mastery you know, kind of like a Montessori concept where you keep going until you get it and then you get to go do it in in real life. And the other thing that I thought was um, a possibility is what impact can that have on, you know, we say that from the time there's research done, it takes like 17 years before it's implemented, right? Well, part of that, what if, like I'm a visual person, right? I, I can, and I can visualize things out. And a lot of us are visual learners. But if you give somebody information and it's just information, they have to go through that transition to concept and and integration, right? What if doing it in virtual reality skips that integration process and you can see, okay, so the research came out yesterday. And let's see what happens in the virtual reality or augmented reality situation when you can see those instant, we we love instant gratification right now. What if we can see that much more quickly and understand it much more quickly? Would that help in that integration and shorten that process? Um, And the other thing I was thinking about is what if you have an individual who wants to say, for example, is is learning leadership or learning um, coaching or whatever for their employees. You could give them the augmented reality or virtual reality situation. You know, AI can translate any particular situation that you've already experienced, put it into the system, and you can have them practice the coaching of that. Go through that session. They can go ahead and review it, see what their own take is on how they did the the leader or manager of that person can review it as well. And then the productive conversation they can have as a result of that, I think is is exponentially more effective. So those are my initial thoughts. Well, but let me ask you because you know, I I'm a firm believer that if you one of the best ways to train people is to entertain them. That if training is fun, you actually retain more information. Can we not make AR and VR more fun as well? So that people want to come back and continue the training? You know, I, I don't know that everything, I mean, I, I believe in gamif- gamification for certain things, right? But if you, for example, the experience that I just explained about like practicing your coaching techniques or your management techniques or whatever that is, I don't know that that has to be gamified or fun. If you're not into it to begin with, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. If it's not something that you enjoy or are wanting to do, then then maybe that's not the thing for you. Well, you can come work for me and have fun or go work for Linda Ann and not. Uh, <laughs> Nick, let's go to you. Sorry, Nick, you're uh, muted. We can't hear you. Yep, hit the wrong button. Uh, it reminds me very much of kind of the debate between in-person or online learning and what went there. And all the literature says it doesn't matter what tool you use. Bad planning and programming will lead to bad training. And so I think that, you know, this can be the heaven sent to say, oh, well, we've got the the magic bullet that'll allow everybody to experience everything. Well, only if we design it that way. Um, and so I think that's where IO can really step in and put the foundations of adult learning in into the environment uh, and make sure that those are paramount no matter what the what the topic is. I do also wonder, you know, if we're using this as a substitutionary measure, uh, Dr. Gradick mentioned, you know, astronauts in space and surgeons and things like that, all of these very high risk situations, they're all great. But where do we create that sort of feedback loop of how do we know what the, the haptic feedback needs to do, you know, for a surgeon? You know, can we simulate what the, the skin tension is and all of that? I'm sure people much smarter than I am are working on that. But how do you get the right information to put in the interface so we are actually training people for real situations and not an approximation of them? 
but let me ask you, Nick, what, what happens when I call an information, to, you know, a helpline to get information and I'm no longer dealing with a person, I'm dealing now with AI in a virtual setting. Um, are, are we, are we, is, is there an opportunity that virtual reality is actually going to take away jobs and maybe they're the jobs we, nobody wants to do, but you know, it's, is it all going to be positive? Is it going to be negative? Is it going to be pushback? We're at the cusp of something that I don't really know how this is going to affect the world. I mean, we, we all tend to look through rosier glasses and assume the best uses and the best treatments. Um, and yeah, there's there's potential that it will be the cheaper, more effective option to go to this virtual reality where you don't know if you're dealing with somebody behind an avatar or if it's just programmed. I know there's an airline in Denver that I won't name specifically, but they don't have any live customer service anymore. You can't call and talk to a person. You have to go through the chatbot. And it's remarkably frustrating because, yes, there's a lot of really quick things that you can have those answer. But for more in-depth or more nuanced sorts of things, you can call me old-fashioned, but I want to talk to a person and explain the situation and how it's different than the stock list of 10 answers that they have. Yes, (laughs) that's what I'm talking about. Thanks very much, Nick. Christina, let's go to you. Hello, Christina. Are you there? She might be having some technical issues. So, Christina, we'll come back to you. Aaron, let's go to you. All right, sure thing. First and foremost, able to see me, hear me okay? All right. Awesome. So I think the theme I'm really hearing as people speak and as I look at the references we have, and I do have one here that I pulled up a little earlier, so I'll just link that before I start speaking about it. But the word that comes to mind is complexity. You know, Dr. Martha talked about options. And when I was preparing, you know, 20 minutes before this is, I'm like, oh, what can I pull up and like think about? Because you know how we are always uh, stacked back to back some days. But I was thinking, when, when I think about complexity, I had the image of training. I believe it's in that um, article I linked, which let me read the name for you real quick. It is Artificial Intelligence Virtual Trainer, Innovative Didactics Aimed at Personalized Training Needs. So it talks a little bit about artificial intelligence um, as a virtual trainer and how it can create more layers from that initial point that somebody is at as they train. So I think to like mathematics, if you look back at like high school or so, I think we all hit this stage where it's like, okay, I'm reading the example, two plus two equals four. Awesome. I get on the test and now I'm doing long division and whoa, where was the, where was the jump? And so I think that a big part of what we're talking about, especially in the opportunity of virtual reality, is having the ability to fill in the gaps of that transition and that complexity. We were talking about transferability of when you're training somebody and they might need more training, but you don't have access to modules or they're training at a, I don't want to say subpar, but a a level that is below where they would grow. They're not being challenged, so they're not being engaged. So I think that really comes back to that complexity. I think AI, we mentioned that just slightly, and also virtual reality are both tools that can bridge those gaps. Additionally, I feel compelled to speak slightly of my own experiences to one of the articles that we did link. I believe it was the first of the two that uh, Dr. Jeremy had linked. It's design of a desktop virtual reality-based collaborative activity simulator, V-I-R-C-A-S, to support teamwork in workplace settings for autistic adults. Now, as some of you may have heard um, in past iterations, I am, of course, diagnosed with ASD. So just speaking from my own experience, I love the concept of gamification. I definitely latch on to puzzles and fidget toys and things where I can be working my brain and using a tangible to connect with somebody. So if you and I are focusing on a task in front of us, it's a lot easier for me to have that collaboration. And you think also to like even non- um, even neurotypical individuals playing legitimate video games. You hear like um, the, what is it, stereotype, and this is traditional, um, so excuse me for non-binary identifications, but you hear that that joke of like the girlfriend is like, why can my boyfriend not communicate to me, but I hear him playing video games, making all these call-outs with his, his friends. Well, it's because when you have a shared task and a tangible, it can be a lot easier to connect on things like that. So I'm interested in that, as Dr. Martha mentioned, options. 
So to cap off what I'm thinking and my thoughts, it's complexity and options. I think that's what we can look at the lens of using these tools for is closing those gaps and then having those options for people that connect better through tangibles or hands-on or things in front for situations like surgeons where I can't go into the operating room. I, it's just too high risk. So we need a simulation. Like that. Dr. Martha, let's go back to you. So both Nick and Aaron brought up a very important point about this complexity. And we have to remember how much more complex real life is than any simulation we currently have. No matter how good it looks or feels or is as, as an experience, I think there are variables in our actual reality that we haven't even identified yet. So we have no hope of replicating them in any kind of virtual world. So again, let's use the technology where it makes sense to use it. Let's embrace it. Let's allow it to grow and improve. But it's important to know that it's not the same thing as the real experience. And the real experience sometimes is not a possibility, right? Like Linda Ann said, um, I think it was Linda Ann talking about the pilot training, right? You don't want to crash an actual plane as a training mode of what to do to try to save yourself from crashing. You can't do that. That's not feasible. But because of the complexity of the actual real situation, what we have in virtual is simulation. And as close as we can get to it, that's great, but it will never truly replace what the actual experience is. And if you think about training, it's so much better to have that potential situation training in a virtual setting. And then if you encounter it in real life, then at least maybe you will have a, a smaller stress response. Maybe you'll be quicker to respond in a way that saves the situation versus if you never had that training. So there's, again, so much that comes into play here. It's a fascinating topic, but we have to understand it for what it is. It has its limitation, but it can be used if used wisely and be very, very helpful to anything we do with it. Well, another reason you might want to contact an IO psychologist is, you know, it, it really is going to be the next shiny object. <laughs> but you know what? It might not be right for you. So you, once again, you might want to contact someone like Dr. Martha or Nick. Let's go back to you. Keep hitting the wrong button. Uh, we talked about, you know, what are the potential dark sides of using this? Um, and I think that, you know, we've already kind of touched on it. it could be a remarkable tool to help people live through and work through issues of PTSD. But on the flip side, if you've got pilot training in a virtual simulator that's so real and they crash the plane, can that have kind of the reverse effect that, you know, did I forget that this was just a simulation? It felt so real and I can't get my mind around that. Um, and then just kind of thinking of ways to apply uh, the broader spectrum. You know, you take the virtual classroom, you do your repetitions there and there and there. And then maybe as you, you know, if you're training somebody to drive, feels like a simple example. You know, you've got somebody driving the truck in the simulator. You've got that. And then they've got the augmented where they see the, the, the best route up in front of them on a heads up display or something like that. So you kind of take that virtual security with them into the real world until they no longer need that crutch. Or maybe that augmented reality becomes the better tool where, you know, a surgeon has the glasses on and they see the, you know, the, the circulatory system or whatever it is that they're working on at the same time, you know, so when something does go haywire, they have more information present and easily accessible. Um, are, are, are we at all, <laughs> are we going to get into a situation that this just gets so good that, you know what, I'd rather spend my time in virtual reality than in the real world. I tend to doubt it. I mean, we have Kindles and yet I will still go to the library and feel the tactile nature of, of the book because you need some of that to engage other centers of the brain. And so I think it is a tool. It's a distraction potentially. But ultimately, I think that the more we kind of realize that, yes, we need to be out in the fresh air, not just experiencing the trail through a headset. And things like that. And I think even there, you get some of the, the biofeedback you could, could look at as what is the stress response when you crash the plane and, you know, kind of get the research going both ways as far as that goes. 
Yeah, I still have a library. I love books. Uh, <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go back to you. Yeah, I agree that there's some things that I just, no matter how good it is digitally, I, I can't process the information the same way. So um, I, I agree with, and that, and that to my, to the point is we have to really remember that these are tools and to use them like tools, right? You have a certain kind of hammer if you're driving a nail versus if you're driving a finished nail where there, or if you're driving a stake, right? Into, into the ground. So there are tools that are going to be appropriate for different situations and used in different ways. I know that when ChatGPT first came out, people were like, oh, is this going to replace people? No, it's probably you'll be replaced by people who know how to use the tool. Okay. And so it's important to get that perspective and realize that this is just a, this is a process, right? We're at one stage in that process. And as we use it, we're going to identify other needs that we want it to solve. And then there'll be an adaptation in that way. And so it's going to be a constant evolution. It's, and I'm going to use the analogy of going to the grocery store, going through self-checkout, which I've never been a big fan of because it always, I always need help somewhere along the line. But, but there's a person there who's monitoring 12 lanes instead of 12 people, right? So there is still that human interaction. It's just utilized in a different way. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> I think I could buy into that. Dr. Jeremy, let's get back to you. Going back to that, the, the question you mentioned about <clears throat> will will we get too in, so involved with this? It's interesting how you see these ebbs and flows. It's, it, yes, of course, you're going to have a percentage of the population who are going to just be virtual reality all day, every day. But then you're going to have other people who say, I need human connection. I'm not doing this. Yeah. I mean, look, at it, it's the same with remote work. We, we thought that, you know, is this the end? Is this the end of anyone going into work? But then after a while of remote work, there's a lot of people that say, look, I need that human interaction. I want to go back, those kinds of things. But with virtual reality, it's almost like I was listening to someone and they were saying how th- a while back there was this kick for 3D TVs at home to be able to watch 3D movies at home. But the problem was there weren't enough people putting out 3D movies and therefore there's nothing to consume. And there you go. Now with the virtual reality, is it, you mean, the technology isn't, it's not cheap. This has been going on for a while, just for fun. I found this, I found this article and I'm going to read this because this is from 1993. The specific hardware, which currently enables immersive VR includes head mounted displays, which provide 3D vision of 200 degrees horizontally and 120 degrees vertically. Data gloves or data suits, which allow the user to interact with the environment by tracking user motion and giving tactile reinforcement, et cetera, et cetera. And this is um, just a really short, short article, learning and learning and teaching in virtual worlds, implications of virtual reality for education. And that was a um, I guess uh, a site within it from 1993. So, I part of my question is if this has been going on for so long, how what's making it that te- that the technology is still so expensive? Maybe it didn't catch on enough. Maybe there wasn't a market for it. I'm sure there's a lot of things going on there. But when we look at the ebbs and flows, we've already been a- able to see the ebbs and flows of the re- remote workforce in just a number of like three, four years. And and before that, but we're I'm talking like since the pandemic where we had this big increase in it, and then uh, it it just it's it's weird to see how this isn't necessarily an ebb and flow with VR because it's just been like this longer longer line going up. I did want to min- I did want to point out, Dr. Martha mentioned something about uh, when we're looking at the VR in terms of you know actual behaviors. I can't remember exactly what it was, and then to speak to what the article that Aaron was talking about with. Uh, supporting work team, supporting teamwork and workplace settings for autistic adults. There's two things here that are interesting to share. Companies such as Microsoft and uh, I can't even read this other name, another company have started using a traditional interview process, uh, no, sorry, non-traditional interview process to assess teamwork skills of autistic job candidates using Lego Mindstorm group projects and Minecraft therefore supporting autistic adults to acquire work 
relevant teamwork skills may contribute not only to job acquisition, but also improved workplace social communication skills, problem-solving skills, and self-confidence. And broken down, these are the specific dimensions of collaboration that were uh, that in which they use VR to help in these processes. And there's nine. I might read a couple. I might read all nine, Tom, depending on how long, how big these words are for me. Sustaining mutual understanding, dialogue management, information pooling, researching, reaching consensus, task division, time management, technical coordination, reciprocal interaction, and individual task orientation. So those are really important dimensions of collaboration that are just very important for everybody. But it's interesting to see that the basis, like they're using virtual reality to help uh, with these particular with these particular skills. Tom, over to you. Well, thanks very much. And we'll go right to Rich. Hey, Rich. Hello. How are you? So I was just at UIC yesterday, University of Illinois at Chicago, on a college visit for my kid, and the one of the big things that they have there is the electronic visualization lab. So this lab um, is a, it, you know, it's an immersive experience, medical students, engineers, you know, they uh, all, all sorts of students use this to, you know, explore um, objects or, you know, their, their environments or whatever, you know, and, and, and now it's a virtual uh, space, but uh, you know, this lab has been around since 1973. So, so it's, you know, gone through different iterations. So the question of why is it so expensive now? I think, you know, we have, you know, of course, Moore's law that says what it's every two years, the chip gets, I, I don't remember the exact, uh, the exact numbers of it, but you know, the, the, the technology just keeps growing and growing and that's R and D and, you know, of course everything has a cost to it. So I, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, we'll still see, some of those uh some some of that uh being very expensive as we move forward but you know those costs come down i mean i remember <laughs> i remember my 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 first computer was like 1200 bucks and it had like 512 kilobytes <laughs> or something <laughs> like that like it was crazy right so anyway um uh but you know i think the whole thing about this and i'm going to put a i'm going to put a uh, an article that i read um about virtual reality and and how what's more important about it is the sense of presence uh that people have and that adds to their learning experience right so it's great for uh you know the the acquisition of knowledge and skills but to what Linda Ann was saying uh before and, and and just to just to go back to that for a second uh you know it's it's being present in that but there's going to be some degree of feeling like it's artificial right at some point so that's where that like that third level of Kirkpatrick's model where we're in the new in the uh, new world model where now coaching and ongoing training and all of the um uh you know the the on the job part of of uh the knowledge acquisition you know, is used to reinforce the learning, right? In in, in a in a wholly present uh, and non artificial way. So that's all. Well, it's it's really interesting. But let me ask you: Is there any research out there yet that is actually saying that you know, if I if I do training in a virtual setting or an augmented setting, do I retain more information? Is it more beneficial than you know a textbook or sitting there with a with a trainer? Um, do we have any information yet that shows one's more effective than the other? Uh, is the, are, so I think some of the articles I've read <laughs> in prep for this say yes. The one that I say here, the the one that I post here says eh, maybe. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I don't. I think it's always going to be the old. Um, uh, it depends. Sort of. Like, I'll give it, a, <laughs> give it a try and see if it works. I think we've heard that <laughs> in almost every podcast so far that I've been in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So 
Like many people have mentioned already, there are certain industries that have tremendous benefit and opportunity for skill development and training through the use of virtual reality. Um, like what was said, it, it creates an environment where people can fail safely. That's that psychological safety, and, and that's a learning and innovative culture. Really, though, IOs can help any industry incorporate VR into their organization and still see benefits. With virtual reality, there's there's opportunity for data analytics. VR platforms often include data tracking and analytic capabilities. So businesses who work with IOs can use this data to understand how are the employees progressing? Is this training effective? How does this uh, implementation look like in the real world? You can even identify things like, are there repetitive tasks in what our employees are doing that, that are part of the job that maybe lead to inefficiencies and can be reduced? All of that data can be collected with that with that virtual uh, reality platform. Investing in in virtual reality for talent, uh, training and development can also save can save a lot of money. If leaders are thinking, okay, so it helps my people, but how much does it cost? Think about going towards virtual reality, like the discussion a few years back around going paperless. It can reduce physical supplies. It can reduce. Um, cost, it can save time, but there are still aspects that need to use that that paper, that need to use that in person. So the virtual reality is not an all or nothing where it, it you jump into that and that's your only training platform. It's another tool, as, as many have mentioned, it's a tool that gets incorporated into your overall development program and your overall um, portfolio that you can offer to support your people. Um, it's it's an opportunity to innovate. It's an opportunity to increase efficiency, flexibility, support long-term sustainability. And really what business leader doesn't perk up when when they hear increased efficiency and reduced cost? I would. <laughs> and, and once again, you know, it's a great tool, but get yourself an IO to show you how to use it uh, and use it effectively. Uh, Aaron, let's go back to you. All right, all right. So one thing that I've haven't heard as we're talking about there's talking about like the application and the uh, kind of the format in which the virtual reality would be put in but i'm thinking a little bit about back-end um, benefits as well thinking to like speed first and foremost as i sit and think i pull up once again or i reference the article that i linked earlier the artificial intelligence one which i will link once again just for convenience but it talks about a couple different aspects of um, AI training, but also being linked in through virtual reality. So I'm kind of, once again, blending those two. But some of the benefits it talked about was building the knowledge base, which is just ga gathering uh, data as we go through these processes. Hey, what's what modules are people using more? Um, what tasks are people doing? It's, it's AI or the virtual reality gives us a format to automatically create data in real time versus let's say something like surgeons, right? We've used this example a couple of times. Somebody has to sit and watch and say, hold on, your hand's shaky. Let's let's put you back. Let's do this another time. Or they say, okay, you did this cut well. What's the next step? Challenging them in real time. But guess what? You're taking two people's time. So with something like virtual reality, you're able to get that feedback loop um, with only one one tool essentially so if i go into a virtual reality and i keep messing up at the same stage like oops you know my, my hand's shaking here or i'm uh cutting the wrong wire or something essentially right then the process is built into where it's like hey here's the stopping points like it's like i think of uh, um, a mario you know we're talking about games right so you think back to mario hey here's the little ghost where you keep getting uh you're falling down the hole or something right and you say okay well i need to i need to be better at this spot so that's one aspect that comes naturally through having this format additionally one thing that interested me from this was mining training demand which is we talked earlier about complexity if people are breezing through one certain stage then the algorithm and the virtual reality can kind of look and say well is this one actually needed? People seem to be breezing through it. This one seems, is this the tutorial level or is this some something that people just don't need? Is this below the standard that we have module-wise? So it kind of helps to format itself to what, what the needs are. So I think that speed is definitely a benefit that we hadn't talked about is like the back end. You're getting data, you're getting information as people go through this, sometimes in real time. So sometimes we even talk back to like performance reviews. If you have a form of 
you know, non-traditional interview process, maybe having that same construct in performance reviews helps to gather that data in a more, I won't say reliable, but maybe in an alternative way, because then you might be able to see, well, how do you perform in real time? What does it look like? And that may be a tool to use as well. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Now, Dr. Martha, back to you. So one of the things that keeps coming up for me as I think about it is going back to your question, Tom, about people who simply get lost in virtual reality. But so much of that depends on the personality. Think about how many people in the world today live virtually in the sense that they have very little um, contact, human contact, and they choose to live in, 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 you know, different game rooms or different platforms where there's very little experience in terms of real life. Well, the people who will go for that have the personality for that. If you have a different personality where you crave human contact, your argument will be, it doesn't matter how sophisticated your virtual reality is. You know what's better? Take that thing off your head and look around. That's 3D. That's that's better than anything that's currently out there. So it will depend on the personality, which brings me to the workplace and the importance of understanding who's who in terms of your employees prefers what kind of training in terms for it to be more most effective. Some people are visual. Some people are auditory. Some people like hands-on, whereas other people prefer to understand the theory because the idea of hands-on before they know the theory is so ner- nerve-wracking, they don't want anything to do with it. So there's going to be people out there who really enjoy and benefit from virtual type of training and others may not. So again, an organization, an employer needs to be sensitive to these kinds of things and make the best choices that will work for the workforce and the organization as a whole as a result. And that's, again, where the uh, IOs come in handy. Yeah, I actually thought AR stood originally, you know, for actual reality. Um, and before I found that, no, it's augmented. Um, so maybe I'll have to go with RR, real reality. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. To build on what Dr. Martha just said, I think it's important that people are going to need to be much more aware of their personal um, learning styles and how do they absorb information. You know, I like e-learning because it it's, gives me a couple of different ways to absorb information and allows me to integrate information into my current paradigm. And so that can be that information can be used and then you can choose the best next level of of learning for you and how that works best for you. And I think that we also need to think about, we're talking a lot about how humans integrate, uh, are interacting with each other in these particular things, but there's a real value in virtual and augmented reality in things like engineering um, or construction. And you can do, you know, civil engineering for a, a, a plot of land and then you can just create a rainstorm to see how it flows and what's going to happen. And and so that you can do those um, virtual simulations to see and, and learn maybe more quickly than you would if you had to do that informational transition, that informational integration. Right. We just push the button and go, oh, crap, that's not going to work. Do we have to be a bit cautious, though, because, you know, as you know, working for various organizations my entire life, you know, everybody's got training videos. Everybody wants you to watch training videos. And sometimes the videos aren't even that good. And it's just, well, the organization has checked the box. No one's going to get sued. But the training is crap. Do we have to sort of be a little bit judicious with looking at what's going to come down the pipe with VR and AR and the training it could provide to actually make sure that it's quality? <laughs> <laughs> What an understatement that is. Um, but, the, you know, it goes back to the old saying, well, just because, it, you know, uh, people say, well, it worked for 10 years, you know, so we don't need to change it. No, that's why you need to change it now. Um, okay. <laughs> Dr. Jeremy, let's go over to you. Noting that we're getting close on time, I'm going to zig and zag uh, through a bunch of different things right now. I do. I want to start with Christina made a, a good uh, she provided a good implication for training uh, with uh, da, 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 health and human services. 
She mentioned they frequently hire for positions that don't require higher level education or experience working with individuals that have severe mental illness as behavioral support staff. And there's a high level of turnover. She mentions that this could provide an opportunity uh, where potential staff could experience an actual day in the life of a behavioral support staff so they could potentially self-select in or out at that position at an early stage, which might be helpful. So I think that's a a pretty interesting uh, application for it. People who start a job, one of the biggest questions is what's a day in the life you know, what am I going to experience, you know, for the first two weeks, for the first six months? So that could be an interesting application. I then want to go to, I want to read specifically because it, it, it made me think of this. This is that it's called a VRET treatment. And this is the one for um, soldiers where they, they put them in what they call a virtual Iraq. And this is to help with support their PTSD and alleviate those what, what's going on there. So I'm going to read this verbatim because it's uh, it's important. So they have uh, a variety of uh, they have ten sessions, and for sessions one through three, it's getting them familiar with the uh, the person that's going to be helping them, et cetera, et cetera, building that rapport. During the fourth through tenth sessions, full threat uh, therapy is conducted. The participant engages in virtual Iraq Af- in a virtual Iraq Afghanistan environment while verbally recounting his or her trauma narrative. The goal during these active exposure sessions is for patients to experience moderate yet manageable anxiety levels while, with the therapist encouragement, they activate, confront, and process difficult trauma memories and emotions they likely avoid elsewhere and often have never discussed with anyone before. The patient's anxiety typically habituates by way of a learning process known as extinction. As this occurs, the patient is encouraged to confront additional, more provocative elements within the VR scenarios, which the therapist can introduce in real time via the clinician control panel. Interestingly, so the the treatment also includes some homework. For example, during the week following the session, the therapist might even have the participant listen to an audio tape of his or her trauma narrative from that particular session providing further exposure to help the patient continue processing trauma outside the treatment setting. So it's, it, 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 it's mind blowing uh, how just the, the various types of implications, and I'm just going to guess in 10 years from now, the help that it can provide, uh, not just from a strict workplace or educational training perspective, but the other things that it can help. And I'm going to continue with my zigzag here. I'm going to stand corrected for by myself for what I mentioned earlier. It's not hydrogen transport vehicles. It's saying that in the future, we might have vehicles that run on hydrogen. So our cars might run on hydrogen. And if there's an accident, what would that look like? So I'm going to correct myself for that. Tom, you asked earlier about some actual studies and in, in terms of the effectiveness uh, there was a study where they used a VR platform to train crews of uh, ambulances to provide to improve their professional capabilities. Um, it goes into the details of that, but the users were divided. The user study divided the subjects into three control group, each in AR, VR, and PowerPoint presentation training modes. The results showed that after a week of training, the subject's error rate in the AR and VR group was significantly less than that in the PowerPoint presentation group. And when we're first responders, we want less error, right? So that's pretty good. It's also used for uh, surgical training. Mm -hmm. They've done studies, results indicated that VR group for surgeons performs significantly better than the traditional group. And even in this particular, in this, the main article for today, Will, uh, it, it helps people learn how to operate wheelchairs. So if they know they're going to be in a wheelchair, they can use VR and allow them to work a, a wheelchair effectively in different uh, spaces through like a grocery store or through a bedroom. So in less, so that they have experience less anxiety and more confidence when they're actually in those particular situations. So again, fascinating. Um, and this is interesting for... Uh, there's one for entrepreneurs here. Yeah. So VR has recently shown promise for interpersonal skills training. Uh, for example, in investigating communication and healthcare teams, 
and has also shown promise for helping people collaboratively build plans for startup companies Mm -hmm. while having to negotiate team roles as they progress. And lastly, this was going to be the rabbit hole that we would have gone down if I mentioned it in the very beginning. So I'm going to mention it now. Biometrics. So there's a, a, a newly established form of research. Biometrics can help with the physical characteristics and understand what is actually happening during these immersive situations in training and other, you know, even going back to the um, to the to the virtual Iraq scenario. They can use eye tracking. They can measure the distance between the pupil and look at fixation to see what's going on there. Facial expression analysis, recording muscle activities. So you can uh, help identify different emotions that are being expressed. Galvanic skin response, which reflects the variation of the skin conductance caused by changes in sweat glands. And I think this goes back to something that uh, maybe Nick said earlier in terms of uh, like skin elasticity and and even heart rate variability. So are they experiencing increased heart rate because of something they're experiencing in, in virtual reality? So there's a lot of, of, of things that are coming out of this and undoubtedly will come out of this, Tom. Well, who knows where we might actually be heading. <laughs> but, you know, once again, it's a tool, good or evil, it depends how you use it. Uh, Nick, we got about a minute, so let's go to you quick. Yeah, there's, uh, again, a lot of great discussion. And I think we all keep coming back to the tool is only as good as the user's hands that it's in. Um, and so I think trying to get the thumbprint of IO in the training aspect of it um, is crucially important. I know that there was something published, and forgive me, I don't have the reference for it, but they had problems with computer animation looking too real. Like the reactions from audiences pulled back because it was it was eerie to the process that it was just too too similar, but they knew that it wasn't quite right. So I wonder if that phenomenon wouldn't uh, happen in the virtual space as well. Um, and then lastly, you know, we're opening up kind of a sandbox here. Um, I'll reference that Nintendo launched a new uh, game that had a mechanic where players could build different things, and they had the physical all set up. And what they saw players doing was well beyond the scope of solving the puzzles in the game. They were creating engineering feats through it and it all worked within the system so i think there's going to be those unintended consequences those unintended you know things when you get other people using it um you know we'll see it used for training for entertainment and for various purposes but i think that there's a lot that will happen when it gets into uh kind of the the fabric of popular culture and we'll see a wonderful little cycle between sci-fi and reality and see how they feed off of each other to to spin up the next generation matrix we're all living in the matrix uh, jeremy uh once again another fabulous conversation uh, it gets even better next week because uh, i believe we're going to take a little journey out into space yeah so next week is the role of io psychologist in space exploration and extraterrestrial workforce josh duran and i have done a couple podcasts on this but it'll, it'll be interesting to bring this to the group for for open mic so that will be next thursday and tomorrow, if you're a CBOC IO Career Pathfinder member, meet up tomorrow at 12 p.m. for that peer group meetup. And uh, ooh, September 27th, our very own Linda Ann Rogers and Deborah Colazzo have a uh, free luncheon lead, Navigating the New Normal Leadership Strategies for Uncertain Times. That's going to be September 27th. Any of these can be found at cboc.com slash events. And we have our second Keep the Drive Alive post three-day experience event gathering. That's going to be on September 27th. So lots of interesting things going on. The next week we talk about how to hire ET. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) As long as they don't spend too much time on the phone phoning home. Uh, Well, with that, Jeremy, uh, another great week. Things are popping along at CBOC. It's great to see the community is growing. Um, how, how many, you know, how's the podcast doing? How's Work Cookie doing? Are we, are we getting more and more listens every week? Yeah, it's going. We just surpassed a uh, hundred countries that we've been uh, listening to. We were looking at that, so that's interesting. Back in December, we were at forty-six countries. December of last year, so uh, it's it's growing and growing, and the the response has been absolutely amazing. So we're going to keep doing it. Okay, why not? 
<laughs> Maybe IO psychologists will bring the world together. That would be nice. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of problems you could fix. Thank you. Uh, so with that, um, I think, Jeremy, it's time for you to count us out, and we'll see everyone in one week's time. See you next week, everyone. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.